بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد الحمد لله tonight is the 7th of february in the year 2024 and alhamdulillah is the 27th blessed night of the sacred month of rajab And about this night, there are a few recommended deeds which are mentioned. So first in a report, in Behaqi in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3811, or volume 3, page 374, Sayyidina Salman al-Farisi radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messengers reported to have said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there is a day and night in the month of Rajab, If a person fasts during the day and stands a'ifa worship during the night, it would then be as if he fasted for 100 years. Verily, this is the 27th of Rajab. Subhanallah. So here in this report, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the day and night, the 27th, is very important. Uh, it's a very special night and day. So you fast during the day, but don't forget the night comes first. Whoever fasts on the day and worships during the night, then for that one fast, he gets the reward of fasting a hundred years. But during the night, what are we encouraged to do? So obviously it's the Hajjah. But there's another report. In Behaqi, it is Shu'ab al-Iman, number 3812, or volume 3, page 373. It mentions, The one who offers 12 rakats this night, i.e. the 27th, reciting Surah Al-Fatiha and another Surah in every rakat, and Tashahud after every two rakats, and performs the Taslim after all the 12 rakats. He then recites the following 100 times. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. He then seeks forgiveness, istighfar, a hundred times. And then he sends Salat al-Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one thousand times. And then offers a supplication for anything of this world or the hereafter. And then fasts in the morning. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will assuredly answer all his supplications except the one made for sin. <laughs> so breaking it down, you offer a 12 rakat tahajjit. So two rakats multiplied by six. And it doesn't mention any particular surat, so you decide whatever you wish. And after you've offered the 12 rakats tahajjit, you recite a hundred times. Ayy, the third kalima. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wa allahu akbar. There's no mention of the completion. Wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-aliyya al-azim. So it's best to stick to what's mentioned. So stop, stop at wa allahu akbar. Then you ask forgiveness a hundred times. Astaghfirullah. You utter this a hundred times. And then you send salat al-Nabi upon our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a thousand times. So obviously there's endless Salat al-Nabis. The simplest is simply to say 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is also Salat al-Nabi. So if you say sallallahu alayhi wasallam a thousand times, then it is done. And then you make a dua, the hadith says, for anything of this world or the next, and you fast the next day, Allah will certainly answer those du'as. So these are some of the recommended deeds I to do on this night and also the following day I to fast. The question goes to the mind, what's so significant about the 27th? So this reports, Abu Bakr radiyallahu's grandson, Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abu Bakr, one of the great jurists, he said, the Isra of Rasulullah sallallahu took place on the 27th of Rajab. The Isra of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi took place on the 27th of Rajab. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Rajab in his Lata'if al-Ma'arif, page 244 of the English translation. So the blessed Isra, i.e. the miraculous journey from Makkah to Jerusalem took place on this blessed night. And of course the Mihraj on the same night. So why is that significant? Because Hafiz ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyya, he said in Zad al-Ma'at that the greatest, most auspicious night for Rasulullah is the night of the Isra and Mihraj. But the greatest and most significant night for us is Laylat al-Qadr. So this night was the greatest and most beloved night to Rasulullah. But for us is Laylat al-Qadr. So why is that significant? Because it's all about the Prophet i.e. this auspicious night. So these are some of the things mentioned. And I mentioned again many weeks prior that Rasulullah was also conceived on this night. He was given prophethood, also mentions various reports. So again, there is certainly substance to this. But just to reiterate, all of these deeds are recommended. We cannot classify them as sunnah because they are not with authentic trans, uh, chains of transmission. But all of the Imams, as mentioned by Hafiz al-Jazidi, in his famous work, Thik al-Madhahib al-Arba, page 747 of the English translation, he stated, The Hanafis, Malikis and Shafis, Rahimahumullah, all state, it is recommended to fast in Rajab and Sha'aban. The humbly state, it is makru to fast every day of Rajab, but recommended to fast some of it. So now they mention recommendations indicating there's some substance here. And of course, it's a way to honor this holy month. So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he blesses us in our months of Rajab and Sha'aban and convey us safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. So we moved on to the sixth session that we're going through the illustrious life of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu. And in the last two sessions, I was giving a glimpse into the unholy CV of the ill-fated father of this great companion, al-As ibn Wa'il. So just to wrap up on this, what ultimately happened to this already condemned man? So he's condemned, we know. But what happened to him? So there's a report. So this narration is recorded in Tabarani in his Ausat, Behaki in his Sunan 8 9, Behaki in his Dalai in Nubu'ah 
Abu Nu'im in his Dilai in Nubu'a 1-268-9 Ibn Ishaq in his Sira 2-58-9 Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid volume 7 page 47 He comments upon the chain of the letters Imam Suyuti in his Al-Khasais 1-365 Hafiz Zahbi stated Sahih in his Sira page 224-5 Ayat Al-Sahaba volume 5 page 431-433 of the New English Translation Bazar ibn Manda, Tanzil Umal, Volume 5, page 76. Fattal Bari, 3-18. Ibn Katir Sira, Volume 2, page 56-7 of the English translation. And Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 5, page 431, also relates similar. So this narration is recorded in the books of Hadith as well as the books of Sira. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, Concerning this holy verse, and he recited, Surah Al-Hijr, Surah 15, verse 95. Verily, we are enough for you against those who ridicule. Ibn Abbas explained, This was revealed about Walid ibn Muhira, Aswad ibn Abd Ya'ud. Aswad ibn Mutallib, Abu Zam'a from the Asad ibn Abd Uzza tribe, Harith ibn Ait al-Sahmi, and Al-As ibn Wa'il sahmi So stop in the report. So Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He promises His beloved in the Quran, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Inna kafaynaka al-mustahzi'in, Verily we are enough for you against those who ridicule. And names are mentioned. One of them is As ibn Wa'il Sahmi. Ibn Abbas continued, When Jibreel came to Rasulullah, he expressed his grief of these people to him. And Jibreel requested him to point them out. So look how interesting. The Prophet was really upset by these individuals, not for himself, but for the sake of the deed, meaning they are always causing me to stumble or putting blocks in the way in my propagating the deed. So Jibreel said, point them out to me, When he pointed Walid ibn Muhira out to him, Jibreel then in turn, pointed towards his radial archery. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then inquired, aren't you going to do anything else? To which he sallam, replied, I have already taken care of him for you. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam points to Walid ibn Mughira. So who is this? This is Khalid bin Walid's father. And all Jibreel was, he just points to him. So points to the radial archery. And of course nothing happens. So the Prophet said, is that it? He goes, he's taken care of. Thereafter when Rasulullah pointed towards Harith ibn Aital to him, Jibreel in turn pointed towards his stomach. Rasulullah then said, are you not going to do anything else? To which he والسلام, replied, I have already taken care of him for you. So to another one of the shaitans, 
He points to his stomach. Thereafter, when Rasulullah pointed towards Asi ibn Iwail, Jibreel in turn pointed towards his foot. Rasulullah again asked, are you not going to do anything else? To which he replied, I have already taken care of him for you. So remember, he pointed to the foot of Allah As ibn Iwail. Ibn Abbas then continued, It then so happened that when Walid ibn Mughira was passing by a man from the Khuza'a tribe who was busy sharpening an arrow, the arrow happened to accidentally cut Walid's radial artery, i.e. which ultimately led to his death. So what happened? So there was a person sharpening an arrow, how he was doing it, Allah alim, but he slipped. And the slip also caused a cut on Walid's radial artery, and that ultimately caused him to die. So look how interesting. <laughs> Outwardly, it was an accident. But was it an accident? <laughs> so there's a lesson there for this. Nothing is happening by chance in this world. People think, oh, he just died by an accident. Did he? <laughs> Then Ibn Abbas said, As for Aswad ibn Mutallib, he became blind. While some say he was once lying under the tree, when suddenly he cried out for help from his sons, saying, Will you not come to my rescue? I have been destroyed. A thorn has been pierced into my eye. They responded, We see nothing, Father. It was not long thereafter that he became completely blind. So another report indicates Jibreel pointed to his eyes and he became blind. As for Aswad ibn Abd Ya'uf, he was once on a journey when blisters suddenly started erupting upon his head, causing him anguish, ultimately to die in a most painful way. Harith ibn Aytal was afflicted with an over-secretion of yellow bile in his stomach, which caused his excreta to emerge from his mouth, which led to his death. So the excrement started coming out of his mouth. As for us, Ibn Iwail, he was walking somewhere when a thorn of the shibriqa tree pierced the sole of his foot causing it to swell, which ultimately led to his death. <laughs> so now, this this is the report. So obviously, it's mentioned in the books of Hadith, it's a commentary of a verse. So Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, I'm going to deal with, them, with those who ridicule. I'm going to deal with them. How do you deal with Jibreel? So we learn something else about Jibreel, he takes our enemies. People just think that his job is to send revelation. And he goes, what else? What other jobs has he got? He goes, he's retired. You know, I've heard people say this on platforms. Oh, he's retired now. Has he got a pension, right? So the response is, he's got many other roles. He comes to destroy people. Doesn't he destroy nations? Doesn't the Quran mention he destroyed Komilut? That's not revelation, right? So he comes to destroy 
But he's not just sent to destroy nations. He specifically takes out evil news. Mm-hmm. Now, if you didn't know the report, you would have thought each of these died a normal death. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. If I didn't mention the beginning of the report, and I just mentioned what happened to these people, you're thinking, is that it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Asib, all the evil he did, all the corruption he caused, and he just died by a, maybe an infection of the foot, and he died. Mm-hmm. And the response is, no. He was taken up by Jibreel. <laughs> right? So note, in any given time, when shaitans are eventually taken out, who knows? Maybe it's Jibreel being sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many of these wretches had also requested and witnessed the awesome splitting of the moon, which to their misfortune they rejected. So where's the proof that they saw the splitting of the moon? Abdullah ibn Abbas said, they included Al-Walid ibn al mughira Abu Jahl ibn Hisham, Al-As ibn Wa'il, Al-As ibn Hisham, Al-Aswad ibn Abd Yahud, Al-Aswad ibn Al-Muttalib, Ibn Abdul Uzza, Zam'a ibn Al-Aswad, another ibn Al-Harith, along with many other such men. Witness the splitting of the moon. This is recorded in Abu Nu'aym and his Dila'il Nubu'a, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 2, page 78 of the English translation. So why is this important to highlight? Proof has to be established on people before they are condemned. So normally, we're talking about evidence. So we don't know how much evidence is needed before a person dies as an unbeliever. He's got no excuse. Allah has kept that with himself. These fruitcakes... <laughs> They, it's not a case of it was a good sermon he convinced you with ration they saw miracles they asked for the moon to be split it wasn't even a case where the prophet did it with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they said if you can split the moon we'll believe you so he made dua the moon split who was one of them who witnessed that Allah asked him in a while and what happened none of them believed so that is why they were condemned. There's so many reasons why these people were condemned. These foul men all died within a short period of time. How do we know? Hafiz ibn Jadil, he said, Rahmatullah In the first year after the Hijrah, Abu Uhayba, Abu Uhayha died on his property in Taif. Also, Al-Walid ibn Al-Muhira died. As did Al-As ibn Wa'il al-Sahmi in Makkah. <laughs> Hafiz ibn Kathir added, Rahmatullah I observe these men died while still polytheists, for they did not accept Allah the Almighty and Glorious. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Tabari in his Tariq, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 2, page 2 to 6 of the English translation. So what year is it? Rasulullah has just migrated. So it's the first year after the Hijrah. Three people died that year upon the migration of the Prophet. Abu Uhayha died on his property in Taif. Who was the next? Walid ibn Mughira died. So Khalid bin Walid's father died when the Rasulullah migrated. And who passed away shortly after him? Al As ibn Wa'il al Sahmi. 
En Ibn Katir said, they died as unbelievers. So, Rasulullah migrated, they were sent to help. <laughs> right? So, that is why you notice their names are not mentioned at Badr, because they've gone. <laughs> Where was Walid ibn Mughira? Why was India Badr? He's in hell. They don't come out of hell to fight again in Badr, is it? Where's Al-Asi ibn Awail? He's in hell. <laughs> right? They went soon as the Prophet migrated. So now, let's put this into a timeline. So Amr ibn al-As, he's not embraced Islam. His father has now passed away, making him the head, i.e. certainly of the family, but also maybe the tribe itself. His younger brother, Hisham ibn al-As, he's imprisoned. He's under house arrest. He's already been under house arrest now for maybe six years. So now who's imprisoned him? His brother. He's not letting him go. This certainly was a stumbling block into Amr radiallahu seeing the truth. Why? Because people are blinded by their family. His father obviously was a staunch enemy of Islam. So not in his mind he's seeing the truth and he's also seeing the enmity his father. But now he's thinking I have to take over. So now Al-As ibn Wa'il, he had vowed during the Jahiliyyah, before our beloved messenger had proclaimed the divine message, he would sacrifice a hundred camels. This is important. So, Al-As ibn Wa'il, this is not in Islam. This is before the Prophet has proclaimed. So you're definitely going back, definitely more than 13 years before his death. For some reason or the other, he had wanted to sacrifice a hundred camels for what happened. In Ahmad in his Muslim, number 6704, is Hassan. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr, he said, Al-As ibn Wa'il, he had vowed during the Jahiliyyah to sacrifice a hundred camels. His son, Hisham ibn Al-As, slaughtered his share, which was 50 camels. But Amr radiallahu asked Rasulullah about this. He said, As for your father, if he had affirmed the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you fasted on his behalf and gave sadaqah on his behalf, that would certainly have benefited him. So let's look at this. So, what does it clearly say in this authentic hadith in Ahmad? As ibn Wa'il had vowed during Jahiliyyah. It's very important. People go through the hadith so quickly, they don't even realize certain key words. So this isn't in Islam. The Prophet has not proclaimed. So now, why didn't he sacrifice? Definitely 13 years prior to his death, he's not sacrificed the 100 camels. So his sons, they both now become Muslim. So this is six, seven years after the Hijrah. So you're talking more than 20 years after the father's, you know, vowed to offer a hundred camels. The youngest son, he's already slaughtered 50. He goes, I've done 50 for my father. So Amr, he asked the Prophet. And the Prophet then said to him, if he had believed I in Islam and you fasted and gave sadaqah on his behalf, it would have benefited him. So beautifully, the Prophet said, it's not going to benefit him. 
But instead of hurting them with those words, he said in another way, they say, look, you've learned something about what you can pass on to the dead. Now, this is a very important hadith. Why? Because again, fruitcakes. Some fruitcakes say you can only pass on monetary uh, things to the dead. So you said to the fruitcakes, is fasting a monetary act? And then they go, no. So why did the Prophet say you can fast for them? So people speaking without knowledge, you know, just berating things out. But the de- disaster is you've deprived the dead. Imagine somebody might have done that deed, but you as an idiot stopped him. So not only have you deprived him, you've deprived the dead. Right? So note here, ask about this. But there's another report. It is also authentically reported he had bequeathed to free a hundred slaves after his death. So this is very important. Two different incidents. The camel, hundred camels, he wanted to do it. Years past, he didn't do it. This was in the Jahiliyyah. But this is now in his will. Because when I die, I want 100 slaves to be freed. So what happened? In Abu Dawood, number 2883, is Hassan in the chapter on wills. Ahmad in his Musnad 2-18, Behaki 6-279. Shaykh al-Bani stated Hassan in Ahkam al-Jana'is, page 218. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr, he said, Sayyidina al-As ibn Wa'il, sorry, Al-As ibn Wa'il instructed in his will that a hundred slaves be freed on his behalf. So this is talking about after he dies. His son Hisham, freed 50 slaves. And his son Amr, wanted to free the remaining 50 slaves. But he said, I'm not going to do it until I ask Rasulullah. Thus he came to Rasulullah and he said, Ya Rasulullah, my father Al-Asi bin Iwail al-Sahmi, he bequeathed that 100 slaves be freed upon his behalf, i.e. after his death. My brother Hashim, my brother Hisham, sorry, has already freed 50 and 50 are left. Should I free them now on my father's behalf? The Prophet replied, إِنَّهُ لَوْ كَانَ مُسْلِمًا أَقَرَّ بِالتَّوْحِيدِ فَأَأَتَقْتُمْ أَوْ تَصَدَّقْتُمْ أَوْ سُمْتُمْ أَوْ حَجَّجْتُمْ أَنْهُ بَلَّغَهُ نَفَعَهُ ذَلِكَ Had he been a Muslim who professed the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then you're freeing slaves you're giving sadaqah you're fasting or performing hajj on his behalf, would all have reached him as rewards and benefited him. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So now we're learning something else about Amr. So his brother obviously has a decade or so start over him in terms of Islam. So why is he making these apparent blunders? Why isn't he asking the Prophet, why is the, why is the elder brother who's just embraced Islam making all the relevant questions? So one simple way to explain this is that the other brother, he was trying to benefit his father. 
maybe in his heart he knew this is not going to benefit. So maybe that's why he didn't approach the Prophet. But Amr did. And on both counts, the Prophet said, no, it can't be passed on to him. But look how beautifully he put it. He actually used the word Tawheed. Again, some fruitcakes, they say Tawheed is an innovation, this word. The Prophet said Tawheed. Innahu lawkana muslima akarra bit Tawheed. Had he been a Muslim who professed Tawheed, فَأَعْتَقَتُمْ أَوْ تَصَدَّقْتُمْ أَوْ سُمْتُمْ أَوْ حَجَجْتُمْ أَنْهُ بَلَّغَهُ نَفَأَهُ ذَلِكَ Your freeing slaves, giving sadaqah, fasting, performing hajj on his behalf, would all have reached him as rewards and benefited him. So now, why is it so beautiful? Subhanallah, had not Allah the Almighty and Glorious many years earlier described this unfortunate as Al-Abtar, the one cut off. You know, think about that. I mentioned this, I don't know, two nights back. He goes, you got rid of Muhammad because nobody's going to remember him. Allah because he's Abtar, he's cut off. Now you can see it. Some are trying to help him. Allah Ta'ala so no, no help. It happens, so no, whatever Allah Ta'ala decrees ultimately happens. And just to add this to finish, note that in both these authentic ahadith, the deed of fasting can be passed on to the believing deceased, which is a purely bodily form of worship, not financial. And these are important reports. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala's mercy is vast. And notice when you restrict His mercy, you inevitably seem to make an error. Initially, I'm going to mention it tomorrow. Some of the ulama said, only certain things can be passed on to the dead. They restricted. Later, they all came around because now you can pass on whatever to the dead. So look at the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah, Allah still has opened up a channel for the deceased. Logically, that's it. They've laid their bed and they're resting on it. That's it. You can't benefit them. But Allah is so merciful, he goes, no, you can still, as long as they have Iman, if they got Tawheed, they will benefit. Right? So again, note again the great mercy of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa So all I mentioned on this blessed night is the end of this unfortunate Al-As ibn Wa'il and of course his cronies. And Lord Jibreel was responsible for this, alayhi salatu wasalam. And then I mentioned that he had willed or he wanted to sacrifice certain things, but both of them were forbidden. Allah prevented this to the lips of his messenger. And of course, how could it not be the case when he is Al Abdar, the one cut off? Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>